This is a crypto finance podcast. We are holding internal knowledge sessions and publish selected episodes to share our know-how and experience with you. The following knowledge session was recorded in January 2019, right around the start of the mainnet of the second popular implementation of the Mimblewimble protocol. There are several references to that start in this recording, but the content still remains timeless. Enjoy! Welcome everyone to the session about Mimblewimble. I was asked by research to do again something on Mimblewimble, because now in January we have two projects going live which are both based on the Mimblewimble protocol. The one that's already live, it had its mainnet launch on the 3rd of January, is called Beam. And the other, which is going live tomorrow with their mainnet, is Grin. So, but first, let me start with what actually is Mimblewimble. It's kind of a funny word already. I would just say, be prepared to, to have some magic today. <laughs> So, because the Mimblewimble white paper was published on the 19th of July in 2016. This is already some time ago and it was published by someone calling him or herself, probably rather himself, Tom Elvis Chedisor, which is, as some may know, the French name for Tom Marvolo Riddle, which is the character from Harry Potter, um, renaming himself later Lord Voldemort. But the white paper wasn't just published on a fancy website or anything. No, um, this Tom Elvis Chedisor came onto an IRC channel for Bitcoin developers. Then there he posted a link to a .onion site, which had a text file on it, including that white paper. So .onion, as I hope everyone knows, is from the Tor network, so it's in the dark web, so you cannot know who actually hosted that site. Some developers from Bitcoin Core then rehosted the document on a normal website and um, on Reddit as well, so that it was more accessible to everyone. This guy posted basically the white paper and then vanished again, so it kind of reminds us of the publishing of the Bitcoin um, white paper. But he never did any actual work thereafter, so he never showed up again or did any implementations. He basically just posted that white paper, um, explained what he thought. In the end, there are some questions for and further research. There's a further research section. And that was about it. The promise of this Mimblewimble protocol was quite high. It was supposed to have more privacy and more scalability than Bitcoin. Um, it uses, in the original white paper, confidential transactions, coin join, and also transaction cut through. I'll explain that in a little bit more detail afterwards. Um, next to the name that's from Harry Potter, Mimblewimble is also a Harry Potter reference. Mimblewimble is a tongue-tying curse in the Harry Potter books. So if you use that spell, your counterpart cannot say the next spell anymore or he cannot blabber a secret. So it's all coming back to this privacy properties that Mimblewimble tries to achieve. 
The story then goes on that the Bitcoin developers, because it was posted in the Bitcoin IRC, looked at that paper and it was, I'd say, one of the fewer papers that were um, welcomed with, with a lot of enthusiasm. So it became quite clear that, it's, that this is something new, something different, and it could be quite useful. Um, some Bitcoin core developers worked on it afterwards. So like Andrew Polestra from Blockstream did a follow-up paper on the Wimblewimble paper and there defined some more specifics. Then the paper was there. Firstly, some Blockstream developers also wanted to put it like on the rate roadmap for Bitcoin, that it could be integrated into Bitcoin. Um, that has <coughs> some technical problems because it's quite different to Bitcoin. So yeah, it became quite clear that it would be on a side chain or a totally different project. This is when Grin came into place. Um, their first testnet launched in November of 2017 and it was first mentioned around the end of 2016, so a few months after the Mimblewimble white paper was released. The first developer that came up with this implementation idea, Grin, was Ignatius Peverell. It's also a pseudonym and we don't know who it is. And again, the Harry Potter reference, Ignatius Peverell is believed to be the original, original owner of the invisib invisibility cloak, which was in the books handed down to Harry Potter as his descendant. And so again, the invisibility cloak hiding something, it plays again in this privacy area. Um, but before now Green goes live tomorrow, Beam, the other implementation, is already live. So I want to start a little, to tell you a little bit about Beam. Beam became public way later than the first mention of Green. In the media, it was about from March 2018. So that's less than a year ago. What's special about Beam is that more, it's more like the corporate option. So behind Beam is a startup called Beam. It's an Israeli startup. It right now has around 20 employees. One of the advisors is Brian Bishop, which is more known in the crypto scene, but all the other employees, I didn't recognize any name to be honest. So they are rather crypto new. They see their currency beam as a store of value. That's what they say already. And as I said, they launched on the 3rd of January. The total supply of beam will be approximately 263 million, which will um, be in circulation, the last one in 133 years. They have a monetary policy, which is similar to Bitcoin. So currently there you get 100 beam per block. The first halving is already in a year and then it halves every four years. One block is mined every minute. So it's quite a shorter block time than Bitcoin has. And what's special with their monetary policy and the block reward is that because it's a company behind it, they need to finance themselves. Unlike other companies, they didn't do an ICO. Up until now, they were financed in the traditional way. So they have investors behind them who brought in the money into the company. 
And now that the network is live, until the first halving, so for one year, they will get 20 beam per block. And for the second to the fifth year, they will get 10 beam per block. So that's instead of doing an ICO, they rather go the Zcash way where they as a team receive a part of the block reward. The block reward is then, it's already the like more or less defined that like 35% go back to the investors, a part goes to the team, part to the advisors, so they can further finance themselves. Um, now they are a for-profit startup. In the future, they want to change that as many others did or want to do as well into a foundation which they think about already think about setting up in Switzerland. So that would mean one more foundation for Switzerland. More stats, block time is one minute, programming language is C++. They use Equihash as a mining algorithm. They will change the mining algorithm every six months. After six months and after 12 months, that for sure, then they are not so sure anymore, probably no more change, because their goal is to be um, ASIC resistant, at least for the first year. Their prediction there is that they say ASICs will become more available for retail miners, but we are not yet there, so in the first year they want to be more on the general hardware type and then as ASICs become more available they think it's fine to no longer be ASIC resistant. They already have a mobile wallet which they everything they de developed themselves. Right now the code is open source but it wasn't in the beginning which is why the project wasn't so welcomed in the beginning because everyone said oh yeah this is another project by a corporation with no open source code but with this um, goal of doing everything with the foundation and so on, they now open source everything. They are also running the risk of um, the same thing happening to Zcash with Zclassic, where there is just um, a one-to-one -one copy of that protocol with a founder's reward removed. Yes, they, are, they don't seem to be concerned about that for the moment. Um, they also did two security audits and everything on the code and it's all open right now. From Beam, the more corporate option, there is Grin, which is totally open source, which they finance themselves via donations. By now, they are have supposedly received around 55,000 US dollars. So that's basically nothing. Um, and it's all more in the Bitcoin style, where they want to get the developers because they are interested in the project, because they want to work on it. When asked about that, the Beam people said that they think the project should be driven, it should be there fast, um, and they say they are that fast exactly because they have a classical corporate structure and corporate governance because they are a startup, a company that pays the employees that can work 100% on it. Whereas, as you, when you see Beam announced itself basically in March 2018 and now they are on the mainnet, and with Grin, there were four test nets, the first in November 2017, and now they're launching the mainnet. Take some more time. That was kind of their argument for why they went for the startup approach and more the corporate approach. Green, Grin's mainnet launches tomorrow. Grin is also a Harry Potter reference. It's 
the short for Gringotts, the wizarding bank in Harry Potter. So bank, money, everything. And whereas Beam sees itself right now as a store of value, Grin wants to be a currency. They, different to Beam, have, because they want to be a currency, a different monetary policy. There is also different to Bitcoin, no capped supply, but every block has a block reward of one Grin. Blocks are also mined every minute, and the block reward will stay the same indefinitely. In their view, they justify that by saying that they look at it from a percentage point view. So right now you have a high inflation because there are zero green and every minute you have one green more. When you then look at it further on, when there are more greens mined, one green is percentage-wise less. So the supply in percentage declines and with the one green per block, in the end, they say that's a new supply of around 2%, which they say is fine for a currency as some keys get lost, um, where then you can not, no longer access the funds. You want it to be a currency, so you don't want to encourage hodling. So you need to have kind of a constant supply. That's where the two implementations quite differ from each other. Similar, another similarity they have is that also Grin is on the standpoint that they want to be ASIC resistant. So they as well want to hard fork every six months and that for at least two years to prevent ASIC mining. They use a different um, mining algorithm. They use cuckoo cycles, which is quite different to Bitcoin mining, but I don't want to go too much into details with the mining algorithms. One difference that is also always stated is that their programming language is Rust, as compared to Beam, which has C++. But obviously, as Green is open source, everyone's free to do an implementation in another language. They also don't have any mobile wallets or nice websites. At the moment, for the start tomorrow, they only have a command line wallet. There you see again kind of the differences, what seems to be more important for corporates to have the nice user interface, which in open source software, don't want to state that as a fact, but is often only implemented later when everything else, like the interesting part is done and someone actually cares for user interfaces. One other important feature Beam has or thinks that it's very, that is very important to be, them that's opt-in auditability and that's where we go to the to what Grin and Beam and Mimblewim Middle in the end actually do as I said before it's quite different to Bitcoin the biggest difference is that there are no addresses so you don't have like you know the string of numbers that you can put on a website and everyone can donate the Bitcoin to you that doesn't work with Mimblewimble Mimblewimble uses confidential transactions, which means that amounts in Bitcoin, as we know by now, and this is why some people don't like Bitcoin so much anymore, it has basically no privacy. If you don't know who the address belongs to, that's fine, but the more transactions are made, the more you can track which address belongs to whom and what you do on the blockchain. What's more is that on the Bitcoin blockchain, you also see what amount is transacted. This is all not the case for Mimblewimble because they use confidential transactions. 
in confidential transactions, you basically no longer see if I put give Piro 5, but it's blinded, so it's basically a random number. You don't know what amount is actually transacted. This is one of the privacy features Mimblewimble has. Through that, you can no longer track from whom to whom the money went. And also, as I don't have an address, I don't see, ah, now Piro received another transaction. You don't see anything anymore, basically, about you as a person. What they also use and is known from Bitcoin before is CoinJoin. So instead of just sending one transaction, you mix up transactions beforehand and then send them to further obfuscate uh, who sent now what to whom. Mimblewimble goes that far that it doesn't just combine several transactions, but in Mimblewimble basically one block is one transaction. So if you look at the block, you see numbers and more numbers, but you cannot determine which outputs belong to which inputs, how much was transacted, it's all obfuscated. CoinJoin and confidential transactions are both ideas from Gregory Maxwell and they were originally fought for Bitcoin and Tom Elvis Chedisor adopted them slightly to use them in Mimblewimble. Another thing that Mimblewimble uses are transaction cut-throughs. So this is to make the blockchain more scalable as well because the problem you have is that with Bitcoin which is UTXO based, so you have inputs and outputs. You, you need all the inputs and outputs before to build the chain to see where the output finally is. But if I send now money to Patrick, let's say I send five Bitcoin to Patrick, Patrick sends them to Maria. Then basically the information that the five Bitcoin went from me to Patrick and then Maria is totally unnecessary. Because what we only need to know is that I had five Bitcoin first and in the end Maria had them. But what happened with the five Bitcoin in between is not important for the state of where we are right now. So all the intermediary transactions are basically cut out or it's a cut through. So you only have to know which UTXO sets are there in the end. So through this, if you join the network, um, you only need the outstanding amounts. And this is way faster than downloading a whole blockchain for, with several gigabytes. Because all the amounts are basically hidden and you don't have any addresses, there's a lot of, I'd say, more advanced cryptography involved that you can still prove that no new money was created or that you did something you weren't allowed to. In Bitcoin, it's quite easy because you can see if here's five and it changes hand and there's another five, it's still both five, so it's fine. But as soon as you start to hide the amounts so you no longer see the five, the difficulty there is to still make sure that no new coins were generated and it's still the same amount. So this is done through cryptography, so although you, you don't see the amounts, you can sum up the inputs and the outputs, and they still equal zero. Although you never know how much it is. So that's how they basically solve that you don't have to see the outputs and still from the outside can make sure that it's actually correct. 
if you do that, you have still the problem if you add, you don't know if it's plus or minus in there because you can add up plus and minus and still end up at zero. So they also employ range proofs to make sure that all the amounts are greater or equal to zero. So it's range all amazing. Fairly big though, cryptographically, right? What does that mean for the scalability of the, of the network, even though you, you did mention a few benefits, but this one is a huge drawback. They use range proofs in such a way that they are quite small in the end. That's by employing bullet proofs. <laughs> Where we get into really complicated stuff, which I think is too far for this session right now. <laughs> so it's all the, the best cryptography um, and pretty new stuff as well to make sure that although you don't see everything, it's all verifiable. And Beam there even set, goes one step further with what I started with, that they are auditable. So because if you now look at the blockchain, you don't see what I did anymore. But there's still the option that I could give to my tax authorities or to my auditors a public key, which, but which you have to decide beforehand. You cannot do a transaction and then decide you want to have an auditor to control it. But if you start from the beginning with this audit key, you can hand out that public key so that the auditor can see what you actually did. So then the amounts are seen and he can check that everything is actually correct. That's but he cannot initiate any transactions. That's, that's very weird to me because if you have this logic that if A gives to B, B gives to C, C gives to D, and then only the transaction from A to D is actually recorded in that block, right? this aggregation or cut through, um, then if B decides to show his transaction to his auditor, uh, he might be able to, to show the transaction, but he might not be able to show that that transaction was actually in block. The transaction was still there, so you still have to initiate the transaction with the private key. It's a cut through, so the transaction is you don't need it in the block anymore, but what's also there is still the block header, which has a transaction kernel in it, which saves all the commitments in it. Through that, you can basically prove that that transaction was there. So mark trees again. Yes. Can the tax authority in your example then see with whom the transaction have been made known? As I understand you, that is not no. possible, right? Okay, but then from a compliance view, I would say, if I hear my compliance talking, I would say that there is some counterparties you're just not allowed to, to, to work with, to trade with, to accept coins or tokens from. So then still, even though all the features are implemented to make it private and usable, kind of, not shady, that's probably the main goal, uh, is not met at the end because that is a crucial feature at least according to my understanding from compliance perspective so to be honest with this auditability feature i i have it i just read about it i haven't seen it in real life so i i myself would wonder how it actually plays out and how they especially how they display the information but which i don't know by now um, i haven't actually played around with beam yet because I don't have uh, any coins no, yet. But it's an interesting question. I have a leader. <laughs> <laughs> uh, basically, what both teams say it's, is that, that they va really value privacy, and for them it's about privacy and um, freedom in transacting with basically whomever you want. 
you don't do any forbidden, so you don't have anything to hide, right? But you still want to have your privacy. So um, to Levin's question before for the block headers, the transaction kernel, which is needed and must be stored forever, is 100 bytes. So it's not too big. And they say that they need way less storage for everything that's needed than any Bitcoin or any blockchain. So that's why they say they are scalable and they are also privacy oriented. Some other technology they use that's quite new is Dandelions to hide IP addresses. Anyone know what that is? Yes, Levy? Can you explain? <laughs> <laughs> no. Is that a trick question? Would you otherwise explain it? I yes. can explain what it is, but it's... So I can, on a really high level, is the problem that you still have, If I, even if no one knows what transaction it, it exactly is or what amount, um, if I commit my transaction to the network, I still have my IP address, unless I use some other things to hide or obfuscate my IP address. So that's still a problem because um, in Bitcoin, when you give the transaction to the network, it's then spread through the whole network. And there you can do some time analysis from at what point in time it was at which node to find out where the transaction ori originated from. You, you did actually, I, I believe they don't do that anymore, but on blockchain.info, on the block explorer, for a while, uh, for each transaction, I mean, they have like well-connected, several well-connected nodes. Um, they uh, they for a while they listed uh, for each transaction from which IP address did they hear about this transa transaction first, so that um, even if you uh, even if you cannot get anything from the from the transaction data amounts addresses you still get a lot of privacy concerning so stuff from that. That's a huge privacy concern. So um, Dandelion was developed to exactly circumvent that. And I don't see the picture in my head yet, but you, do you know what a dandelion is? It's this, this flower, <laughs> what would you call it? Leventang. Um, but then Yes, Pusteblume. That's probably the best word, but that's what, how you have to imagine it. The idea is that if I send a transaction, I, first it just goes to one node, and then it only goes to one other node, and then again one other node, so it makes some hops where it's just for one node and then after enough hops are over it then spreads through the whole network so, <laughs> so you are able to define from which node the spread is but you cannot go further back to the original IP address so the, the idea there really is that if you um, if you receive a transaction that has this I am a dandelion transaction flag Uh, you would roll a dice and with 20% probability you would broadcast it as fast and as broad as possible and with 80% probability you would just forward it to somebody else um, to do the same thing. Again, rolling 20%. So even if you are the one who broadcasts it, you only know the one before. You do not know if he is the one where it originated or if he also already had that if you hops back. That basically is just a way of, of propagating the transaction through the network, which is more secret, more private. And, uh, another concern on a real case scenario, why would you do something like that? What? Then that, that complicated, if you want... Well, yeah. the, the nice thing, it's, it's not actually complicated. It just hides which IP address corresponds to which transaction. So it's a further... Yeah. If you propagate the transaction, you don't even realize that it's doing that in the background. Yeah, basically. but then again, coming back to a real, like, real life 
how would this be useful? If you cannot trace anything, theoretically anybody could launder money like that and... and but it's privacy! How is, how is privacy useful? Privacy isn't useful. <laughs> privacy is, is a human right, it's not useful. <laughs> it's, well, some, it's something that has a value to, to, to you yourself. But you cannot measure its usefulness, so right? So you to be a the cypherpunk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I'm thinking about real case scenarios, like real life. Like a company option on it. No, no, like a company. Why would a company would use some, something like that? Or why would a person well, would use something? Let me give you an example. If you, if you have the company Bitcoin address and you see that from the company Bitcoin address uh, these salaries are going out to the employees, none of the employees know which address is from, from which employee, but you, you might not want the other employees to know how much salary you, you receive, right? because that might ask questions about... Uh, well, that, that's, that's where, where I would okay. say better to have transparency so that so sure. to be private. That, that's, that's perfectly fine. I disagree on this. Um, the good thing about Dandelion and privacy and minimal window is that you can have transparency optional. So if we want both of it to exist, we have to have the ground layer private. The thing is that some people value privacy and want to transact in a private way. Yeah, but the how same big is as that market? would you would you hand out your would you put your would you put your bank account statement here for everyone to see that everyone knows how much money you have in your bank account? I guess most people wouldn't. No, and nobody, nobody, nobody would. And with Bitcoin, you have exactly that. With Something like Wimble Wimble, you don't because you can hide or you can keep private no, what with you Bitcoin, have. With Bitcoin, you can say you have a hundred million dollars worth of Bitcoin, but nobody actually knows who the owner is. Yeah, but the more transactions that are made, the better it is traceable. And in the end, it's totally open. Once I made the connection to you, it's totally open. No, I, I completely, I completely understand. Yes, I completely, understand. Yeah, I completely understand that. But in a, in a real case scenario where uh, there's compliance issues and everything, how would you institutionalize such yeah, a situation? Alex, is actually quite good. You can switch on and off compliance. That's possible. If you if you do have a private system, you can switch on and off compliance. If you have an open system, you cannot switch on and off privacy. So the, the tax authorities cannot force the network to disclose no. the owners. But, but you can decide that you want to disclose. That's but totally up to you. So one question before the broad discussion starts. I mean, do you have more on your plate for Mimble Wimble? Because we are currently all entering this privacy topic, which is great. I love this. We had dedicated sessions about this. We can have a discussion about it now, but I would really want to cut that to cut into the minimal window topic. So do you have anything more or was that already? From the top level, it's two new coins, nothing quite different. If you actually look at it and from, from the privacy perspective, that's one point, but also from the other, what I think um, is quite interesting is the, the technology they use that you no longer have the concept of addresses, and that it's all structures kind of a different way. I could go more into the details about um, the whole structuring, but I think it's too much for this session yeah, <laughs> because it gets technical very soon. Okay. So the most important question, where can we buy this coin? <laughs> <laughs> so Beam is the one that's live. There's currently one exchange which has it. The way you can have access to both right now is by mining. Mining. 
One question, those two did go slightly different routes when it comes to the monetary policy and yes. to the parameters of the system. That's very interesting, actually. I like that, that there is experimentation about, about the inflation, and I should maybe publish that post that I wrote about that like half a year ago. But what I, what I find strange is that both have rather low block times. This is even more so because this is by people who, are, who have a reputation within cryptocurrency, um, and it's, it's a weird decision from that perspective. For Mimblewood in particular, because you have this cut-through, which only works if you have transactions from A to B to C to D to E, and then you cut that, can cut that from A to E within one block. Within one block, you can cut it right now when you produce the block, but for the state of the blockchain, so if you're a new node syncing to the network, you're cutting out all the other transactions over the block as, as well. Okay, but this cutting within a block obviously works better if you have a yes. longer block time. So why would you choose such a particularly short block time if you have a system that someone benefits from aggregating subsequent transactions? I can't give you an answer to that. They both had one minute. I haven't seen anywhere that the block time was even discussed. Okay. But I what I also think there is that still, also if you look them up, both projects are quite new. There will be, and they both say so, there, there will be some changes and they have to try out how it works. Grin has some more testnet experience and some longer and it seems to work but also if you want to go into mining then there's lots of question how it actually works and there's still a lot of open questions which both networks will have to try themselves. Beam already had one major issue on the 9th which they had to do an emergency release to upgrade some stuff and also there the they just published a release on their website with same version number and things like that where a lot of people in the community said you're totally not professional although you have all experience in software engineering and development so they will both have to go some way i think until they are actually there there's, there's yes. always this uh, even if the concepts are fine which we don't know because it's rather new cryptography but it's uh, even then Bitcoin had this, this honeymoon period of, let's say, two, three years where any bug that was found was not an issue because nobody cared yet and was able to slowly grow. And this is something that no other cryptocurrency will ever get in the future. So if there is something catastrophic in the code base of those projects, um, that can kill them. And this, because you're hiding amounts and everything in here, um, it's... It's supposed to be even harder to to even find out if you like if you can find a way to create additional coins that that all the math still holds up. It will be quite a while until you're fi found out if you do it quite well. And but if it is then found out, it's basically the death of the death of the coin. Where I think with Bitcoin, if you there have a rather minor bug, you can still correct that and you can improve stuff. And here it gets quite complicated quite fast. It also did happen in the past, right? We had this yes. bug in 2010, I believe, in Bitcoin, where some billion new Bitcoin were created out of nothing, uh, which was immediately noticed. Because you see it immediately, you see it. which here you probably don't. So if something like that happens here, you would not notice. But that you only notice once an exchange claims to have more funds than there should be totally available. Um, then it gets weird. Yeah, I think the thing is, 
with Bitcoin, you can because you can look up a lot and see a lot. It's a little easier to get the concept and feel comfortable with it. Here, it's even more obfuscating. It's um, more maths in it. So it's also harder to get comfortable with it, maybe from the, the human perspective, not trusting it or whatever, depending on the personality, obviously. Good. Thank you very much. This episode was brought to you by Crypto Finance. We are happy to receive comments and feedback. Email your thoughts to research at cryptofinance.ch.